0: Okay. Well, thanks so much for uh, joining us here again this morning. Uh, we are going to continue our series, which we are calling Underqualified. Now, what this series is all about is the 12 disciples, or the 12 apostles, and we talked a little bit about the difference between those two words last week, and their journey with Jesus from being called Uh, to seeing him crucified and rise again and then them being sent out from disciples, those who just uh, learn and are students of, to those who are apostles, those who actually go out and teach. And we're really excited. And here's what I'd like uh, two things to think about, and I'm going to say this just about every week so that we remember. Uh, The first one is the goal of this series, the point, the, the hope for me, is for you to be able to sort of reach out and relate to maybe traits or moments in the lives of these early church leaders and see yourself in that spot as we lead together IPC uh, through and into our community and teach people about Jesus. That's the first one. Here's the second thing that I just wanted to mention. Now, uh, some of you are uh, public speakers or have given presentations or that's part of your job at work or, you know, you've been at home and you know that uh, when, you, when you'd like something or you'd like something to happen, you sort of start over here, and then you, you bring the person you're talking to on a journey, and then there's like this question that needs to be answered, and there's this moment of suspense, and then it gets carried through, and at the end, there's this aha moment, right? This is what most public speaking preacher people trying to convince you to buy something new are doing, right? And so most of the time when people like me come up and speak, that's sort of what we're trying to do. It's a journey. It's bringing you from the beginning to end. This series is going to be a little different because in this series, uh, it's going to be more little pockets of things here and there as opposed to bringing you on one fluid journey from beginning to end. What I'd love for you to do is if you see or find something in the middle that goes, oh, that made sense to me. That landed. That's great. I'm happy about that. Uh, because there's a lot of little pieces all over this series to grab from. And so I was describing this to Benj this morning. Uh, This morning's message and many others like it, there's kind of going to be one in the first five minutes, and then there's going to be like another one for the next 10 or 12, and then there's going to be another one at the end. And that doesn't mean I'm going to talk for an hour. It just means that if at the end you go, I'm not sure how that connected to the beginning. That was actually on purpose. The goal is for you to grab on to something. So I think that's important to be transparent about to make sure you know how to listen and what to listen for. I already talked last week, we talked about the difference between disciples and apostles. We talked a little bit of the timeline of when the disciples uh, were called. Here's what I'd like to start with this morning. If you could throw this chart up on the screen for me. I just want to talk about how the 12 disciples or apostles are typically referenced biblically when they're all referenced together. So in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or uh, sorry, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts, the places where all of them were were named together, we can see that there's a list. And generally speaking, here's how the list goes. Uh, There's kind of three sections in which the apostles are named in a certain order. And this is significant, the the way that they're named matters, uh, because as we'll go through the series, we'll see that there were some people that were in closer relationship with Jesus to others, not that they were less important. That's just how relationships work. So Peter, Andrew, James, and John, in all four gospel accounts uh, here that we're looking at, those are the ones that we're seeing are first. And then Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew are all sort of there in varying orders, but they're all there. And then, uh, you know, James, Thaddeus, Simon, and Judas are there at the end. And I think this is important and interesting to see just because as we go through this series, we're going to start with Peter today and we're going to kind of work through this order, not because some were less important, but for this reason, it's really, really hard if you've ever noticed this, to be really, really close to this many people. I don't know about you, but I don't know how many uh, intimate relationships or really close friendships you have. But as many people as I know, and Lauren makes fun of me for this constantly, because we'll meet somebody out that I haven't seen in 10 years, and I'll go, oh yeah, that was my friend so-and-so. And she'll look at me and be like, when's the last time you talked to them? I don't know, eight years ago. You're not Fred. Well, yes, we are. Well, you're not, right? There's, there's varying degrees, right? There's levels of relationships. They're different. But at the core, you probably have like three or five really close relationships, right? This makes sense. Maybe it's a spouse or uh, a kid or a sibling or a best friend, but it's really hard to invest well in more than three to five people. It's just really difficult. And this was actually still the case with this group, right? We see that Jesus had an inner circle, and then he had a group that knew a little more, and then he had a group that was still very close to him and important but was a little further on the outside. And it's not based on importance, it's based on the same thing that you and I have always encountered, which is it's really hard to be best friends with 12 people all at the same time. And you've probably seen this at work. If a bunch of people report to you, let's say you have 20 or 25 people who report to you, you've probably got the two or three you're close to, and then you've got the couple that are outside and outside. You've seen this in church relationships. You've got the five or six people that you gravitate to in the morning. It doesn't mean you don't know and see everybody. It just means that they're not as close to you because you only have a certain amount of capacity. And Jesus led the same way. And here's why this is important, and this is just one of those little behind-the-curtain things that we've been talking about here at IPC. One of the biggest barriers to a church being able to tell more people about Jesus is this. We refer to it in the church as something that we would call like pastoral care or counseling. Some people would talk to it about as, you know, knowing everybody. But it's this expectation that the pastor or the leadership in the church has to have a one-on-one intimate relationship with everybody in the congregation. This is the one thing that more than anything holds a church back from reaching more people and growing at least numerically because there's only so many people you can be in relationship with at the same time. And because of that, we know that the the way that a church grows and that the message gets further out isn't by it being centralized around one person doing all the work, but many people in relationship with many different people. And Jesus actually models this in the way that he worked with his group. And I just, again, I'm nerdy. That's one of those things that I'm really interested in. So as we move into the fall and we talk about the importance of small groups and inviting people in and getting to know other people and making sure that you're the first point of contact for somebody instead of somebody on staff or an elder, that's why we say it, because actually Jesus modeled a way through his disciples of more people getting to know Jesus through more people actually talking about him. But, all that's to say this. The first one, the one that's in the beginning of every list, the one that we all know about, the one that we've all heard about the most, is this guy named Peter. Now, Peter was a fisherman. Him and his brother Andrew were called together. And they were uh, born and grew up in Bethesda. And we know that Peter had a wife because Peter's uh, mother-in-law is referred to in Scripture a couple of times. So we know that Peter was married and maybe had a family Uh, he was brash he was bold he was loud as we're going to see in a few seconds Um, there's a lot of uh, extra biblical sources Uh, there's some biblical sources but there's a lot of things outside to biblical history that show that uh, Peter likely was a key part, if not the centerpiece of starting the first Christian church in Rome. It's likely that he was crucified there in Rome. There's accounts of him being crucified upside down as a martyr in the name of Jesus as well. Uh, And and there's one piece about Peter that's perhaps the most significant that we notice all the time that I'm sure you've noticed, but I don't know if you've thought about before. It's, 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 It's the significant of the fact that Peter had two names, right? When he started, he was Simon, but he was renamed Peter. And you know that uh, Peter uh, was renamed, and Peter means the rock, right? Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. Now, we don't have all of the time to go through all the scriptures today that I'm about to reference, but I think the next time you run through the Gospels, here's something that you should probably look for. Depending on, oh, we're still a little wobbly, depending on how Peter is doing, what he's asking, how he is sort of uh, internalizing or figuring out what Jesus is telling him about and how he's acting, Jesus calls him different things. Sometimes Jesus calls Peter, Peter, the rock, and sometimes he calls him Simon, which is a significant because any time you see Jesus call him Simon, what he's referring to is Jesus or as, was Peter before, before he was a disciple, before he was apostle. The way he acted before a man with less faith, a man with less conviction. And so we see through Scripture. And, and the next time you do this, I'm sure this has been pointed out to you before, but if it hasn't, it's fascinating. Typically, the biblical author, whether it's you know Matthew or Mark or Luke we'll talk about Peter by using the term Peter. But when quoting Jesus, he won't always do that. So Matthew might say, uh, Jesus said to Peter, Simon. And that's one of those moments where you can look and go, oh, Jesus has a problem with something that Peter is doing right now. So let's dig into that and figure out what that is. Because here's the big thing about Peter that we're going to talk about this morning. Here's the big piece that I hope that maybe you can reach out and relate to a little bit. Peter was a leader by nature. We all know this about him. But his skills, his skill set, it was pretty raw. (laughs) It needed a lot of refinement. And I'm not sure if you know people like that. Maybe you would use the word potential or you would use, you know, the word gifts. But Peter had a lot of that. He had a lot of potential. He had a lot of gifts. He had a lot of skills. He had a lot of raw talent. But it was very raw. And as we see through the Gospels, one of those little narratives written through all of it is this constant refinement of Peter. And in moments where things are going well... Jesus calls him Peter, and in moments where it's not going so well, he reminds him that he might still be acting like a Simon. So here's what I'd like you to do before we start. If you're sitting beside somebody you know and you trust, I would like you to ask them the following question. If you, I see a couple of giggles. If you're not sitting beside somebody you know and trust, sit, look at that person go, who should I ask this question to? And then after, ask them this question. I want you to ask and maybe just spend one minute and if you're at home you can do this with somebody or put it on Facebook, you'll get all kinds of answers. (laughs) Look at somebody and go, what are my raw talents and abilities? What are my not yet refined, now we've gotten lots of giggles. Now remember this is a safe place, we all love each other to be honest, but this is good because this is something I want us to carry through. So I want you to turn to somebody for 45 seconds and just say to them, what are my, what's one raw talent of mine, something that you see a ton of potential in that, that perhaps could use a little bit of refinement? And as soon as, assuming we're all here in a minute, we'll come back and we'll, we'll keep going. Okay, go ahead. Right now. Talk to the person next to you. All right, how are we doing? Are we all still friends? Okay. Brian, what did... No, I'm not going to do that to you. That'd be terrible. Okay. So we've all got those. And I'm sure that if I was sitting beside Lauren, I would have heard about a couple again. And uh, as I'm sure many of us just did, right? Things that we need still a little bit refined, but things we see a lot of potential in. There were a lot of these for Peter. I'm just going to touch on three Maybe you can relate to these, maybe not. But here's what I'd like you to do, whether these are ones you can relate to or not. I want you to take the journey, the process of Peter here, that idea that Jesus continues to refine us through what we're doing. So Peter, first of all, had a lot of initiative. I'm sure you've probably figured this out about Peter by now. He was uh, almost always the first person to speak, um, and he was almost always the first person to answer. So just a couple of examples here. In Matthew 16, uh, Jesus asks, Who do people say I am? And there are several options. Some people say John the Baptist or Elijah. And then he says, But who do you say I am? And Peter's the one that gets right in there first. And he's the one that says, You are the Christ, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, this is a great one, okay? So we all know the story of when the Roman soldiers come to arrest Jesus. Most people know that story, right? Right? Here's the thing that we don't usually talk about. If the Roman soldiers were coming to arrest Jesus, there probably weren't three of them. There was probably a battalion. And a Roman battalion numbered about 600 or so. So it's reasonable to think that there was quite a few people in the garden that night looking for Jesus. And what did Peter do? He pulled out a sword. Genius. Right? He's got that go-getter initiative. Right? Perhaps a little refinement necessary, but the initiative, right, that raw talent is there. We look at um, the feet washing, the story of when Jesus washes all the disciples' feet. First, he goes, no, not my feet. You're not doing mine. And then Jesus goes, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be with me. And he goes, okay, my whole body then. (laughs) Right? He's either in or he's out. He's, He's hot, he's cold. There's no in the middle, right? And this gets Peter into a little bit of trouble a lot of the time. We know this. Have, have any of you ever done this? Have, have any of you ever had a little bit too much initiative? Or maybe you're a person who would sit here and go, maybe I don't have enough. Maybe I'm not the person that jumps in there all the time. And we see through biblical text and history, and when we go and we read First and 2 Peter, which, again, I would encourage you to do, that we see that refinement process start to happen, right? Peter starts to talk about how important it is to be humble and to be last and to be a servant and to be a person who takes initiative but also understands the context under which he's doing it. Peter is taught many times by Jesus, sometimes by a formal correction or uh, like a direct teaching and sometimes just by passively calling him Simon, that this initiative piece, although awesome, is something that maybe needs just a little bit of tweaking and a little bit of work so he can use it uh, best in the kingdom. Second, Peter was always involved in everything, right? Just like most leaders were. He was always in the middle of it all, and sometimes the results are mixed, but he's always right in the middle. In Matthew 14 Uh, Peter yells out to Jesus on the water, right? Jesus is walking on the water. All the disciples think he's a ghost. And Peter yells out and he goes, you tell me you're Jesus and I'll come out there. And he calls him out. Now what we focus on is the fact that Peter sank, right? We always talk about that in the context of this story. Peter took like three or four steps and then he began to doubt and he sank. But here's something that we don't always talk about. There wasn't anybody else jumping out of that boat. It was Peter jumping out of the boat. And so for as much of a hard time as we give him for losing his faith, we should probably give him a little bit of credit for jumping out into a storm in the first place, which is really cool. That's one of those areas, right? It's well-balanced. Peter does something, ah, not so great, but also look at that raw talent, that ability to get involved, the willingness to learn from Jesus how that works the best, right? Uh, We know the story of Peter's uh, first denial. It's here Uh, In John, we're going to, I think we can throw it up here for a second. It says here, uh, starting in verse 15, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard, but Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and they brought Peter in. And here's the part of the story we always focus on. Somebody says, aren't you the one of his disciples? Sorry, aren't, uh, you aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? She asks Peter, and he goes, no, I'm not. He, he denies Jesus. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them to warm himself. Now, again, we look at this story, and we go, Peter denied Jesus. But here's what else uh, Peter did. Peter followed Jesus and the soldiers into a courtyard when nobody else did as the disciples scatter away and they run peter goes i got to know what's happening i got to sneak around i got to figure out Does does he deny jesus yes and later we're going to talk about how he was renewed but he's in there he's involved he's willing to take the risk he's willing to get dirty because peter goes there and he goes i get involved that's what i do i take initiative which is really cool it's one of those neat character traits that maybe needed a little bit of refinement, but was there, was inside of him, was built into who he was, which I think is, is really neat. Uh, the third one here is that Peter was very inquisitive. He asked a lot of questions. Raise your hand. You don't need to. If you know somebody, probably your kids, who ask a lot of questions, we're in that stage of parenting right now. We're in the stage of parenting right now where Waverly will be halfway through a question. She'll forget about it and then start asking another question. Daddy, where was the thing that, Daddy, Daddy! I was already listening. Yes? She's got so many questions. Some people aren't that inquisitive, don't have that many questions. Peter had a ton of them. Peter asked questions all the time. In Matthew 15, 15, he asks Jesus to explain himself when he's talking about the parable of defiling yourself. In Luke 12 41, Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable to me or this parable to everyone? When Jesus is talking about watchfulness. In Matthew 18, we see the parable of the merciful servant. Uh, and it's Peter who sits and goes, How many times should I forgive somebody? which is what actually leads to that teaching in the first place in mark 11:21 uh, a day after jesus curses the fig tree peter points it out and he asks a question specifically about that in that moment in matthew 17 it's peter that says when he's sitting in the teaching of the rich young ruler he goes hey what's in it for us what's in following you for us and then jesus gives this parable of the rich young ruler somebody who lost everything in their life to follow him but gained eternal life a lot go through the gospels this is fascinating a lot of the teaching that we have are answers to peter's questions are you a person with a lot of questions this is something that's really really interesting in our time right now because right now we're in a moment in our culture where christian christianity is under mm, just a little bit of scrutiny you might have felt it You might have felt the heat a little bit. Maybe you're careful about who you talk to about it. Maybe you've had questions about your own faith as it's been developing that you haven't wanted to ask or you've been afraid to ask. Remember this. Peter, the leader of the apostles, asked all these questions that you've probably got and more. He wanted to get to the bottom of it because although sometimes questions, when they're unrefined, come as statements. We've all asked those, right? Hey, did you take the garbage out? That's not a question. That's a statement. The statement is, I don't see it at the curb. <laughs> I would like to ask you where it is, right? The question is, hey, can I help? Is there something I can do? What does that look like? There are questions and there are statements. Sometimes. Peter asks them as questions. Sometimes Peter asks them as statements. But here's the important part. Every time he asks something, he typically gets an answer. And when he begins to refine that raw talent of being naturally inquisitive, he learns a lot more about Jesus than everybody else got to, which is really, really cool. Do you have that raw skill or that raw talent? I don't know. Here's what I want you to take away just from a little bit of peter's story whether you're inquisitive or you're involved or you have initiative and we're going to talk about other disciples with other raw talents and skills as we go or whether you have something else i would encourage you that everybody in this room has something it exists it's in there and if the person that was next to you is really a trusted person and they really told you what that thing was they didn't tell it to you to be mean they said we see the potential we see the raw talent and it's your job to look and go, how can I take that and use it for a gospel purpose? This is what Jesus did all through Peter's ministry. And it lasted all the way through till he was at the end, because at the end, Jesus is crucified. Peter has denied him three times. They've been through this whole journey together. Peter has questioned and asked him about things. He's stuck his nose in in places where maybe it shouldn't have gone. He's always the first one in when sometimes maybe he should have listened for a minute. And then finally, he denies Jesus. Jesus is crucified. The disciples scatter. And Peter brings a handful of them back because now Jesus is gone. Life is sort of a little bit back to normal. We've talked about this period after Jesus is crucified, where there's a little bit of confusion and not knowing what to do. And it's Peter that actually goes to everybody, well, let's go fishing. And at that moment, Jesus comes and yells out and brings them all back in. And Peter and Jesus have this conversation at the very end of what's going to be their earthly relationship. And they have this meal on the beach and then Jesus says to Peter, when they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? See, so he calls him Simon because at this point, Peter has deserted him. This is one of those final lessons that Peter is learning. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. And then again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. And the third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter's going, Why? Why are you asking me this question? This is hurting me. But the the part that we see from the outside is that Jesus is actually about to restore Peter because Jesus says this. He goes, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you not want to go. And that's a reference to Peter's eventual crucifixion. But look at that Look at that little piece that Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, you used to do what you wanted. You had all this raw talent, this skill, these things. You used to go where you wanted to go. But now you're going to go where you're called to go. Because you've undergone this journey of learning how to use those things. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which, uh, which uh, Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And like this last little lesson is, it's just, it's so cool. It's one of my favorites. And this is the one that we're going to get caught up on when we think about ourselves and our talent. And this is where we're going to end because I think, like, this is really good. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. He's talking about John. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw, the disciple who Jesus loved, who was back there. Peter said, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? You must follow me. I kind of wish the translation was, the Mike translation of this would turn the must into just. It would say, If I want him to remain alive, whatever that person's call is, is that person's call. But you, you just need to follow me. Don't worry about that person or this person. Don't worry about their skill set or that skill set. This person's unrefined talent or that person's unrefined talent. Don't compare yourself. Don't measure yourself up. Don't try to be the best, right? There's this great story of them all arguing about who's the best, And again, Peter's leading the argument, and Jesus shuts it down. It's a great story. Go read it. And so my encouragement to you is this. There's moments in the body of a church, as a church family, where we look, and we do this a lot with staff, right? I've been on staff. I've been in a congregation. I've been in and around. I've talked to a lot of people. I've seen this a lot. People that just go to church look at people that work at the church and sort of elevate them and they go, wow, look at all the skill and the talent and the ability or whatever. And what people do is it's, it's cool to acknowledge somebody else's things that they do well at but they diminish themselves. And I'm here to say, don't do that. Like Peter, you have something there. You have an ability, a raw talent, something that can be refined for the glory of God. And just like Jesus looks and goes, don't worry about John, just worry about what you're going to do and what I've called you to do, I would encourage you to do that too. It's really, really tempting to look to one person or another and go, that person's just better at this than me. You know what? They might be. But don't worry about that because that's not what God has called you to do. Your job, your role as a part of this family, as a member of Christ's church, is to figure out where God has called you to be, to figure out what those skills and those talents are abilities that God has given you and for you to seek Christ to refine those. Do we use the people around us that we trust to do that? Absolutely. But remember, just like Peter had all this raw talent and raw ability, it wasn't really that helpful until Jesus actually put it where it needed to go. And we are the same way. And so if you have ever felt like, ah, I don't know, I haven't got it, I haven't got that thing, or I don't know where I fit, or I haven't got enough, or, 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 please remember that just as Jesus taught Peter, just follow me. I will help refine that out of you. We will work together so you can work in the kingdom. There are tons of opportunities for people in God's kingdom of all talents and abilities and skill sets to work. Because if there wasn't, uh, there would be a whole lot of stuff that didn't get done because we would be very much in a box. So feel encouraged this morning that even if you've ever looked at the life of Peter and gone, ah, I don't know, I'm not really that natural born, brash, loud mouth leader, which I would never be able to say because somebody would look at me and go, you are allowed now. You get to look internally and go, no, but I've got something that God can use too. So pray about that. Ask somebody you trust. Ask the people around you. What do you think God is doing in my life to work? And just like Peter, you too will be refined into somebody that God leads other people to Jesus through. Let's pray together. God, thanks so much for uh, all the things that you give us, for our abilities and our talents, some more refined than others. But Lord, thank you that you've given them to us so that we can use them for you, for your kingdom, for your glory, for the things that you've called us to do. And God, this morning, I pray that you would bless those that are here and online and listening later, that they would feel confident in knowing that you have blessed them with a gift, that you have blessed them with something. And whether that something still needs to be refined or not, Lord, I pray that you would work in our heart to identify that and to work for you so that ultimately at the end of the day we don't worry about anything much more than just following where you're leading us to go. Lord, that's a really hard thing for us to do. But please work with us as we try to figure out how to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.